privilege of being with our son and daughter-in-law and the four grandkids the other day. And we sat out on the back deck and looking at the sunset. And uh, he said, you know, I know y'all remember, but he said, you know, when you would tell me to do things and I was a young kid and I, I was just obsessed and that describes him a lot. He became an engineer because it's got to be just right. you know. <laughs> he said, I was obsessed with, with finishing what I was working on or what I was playing on or building Legos, whatever it was. And and y'all, I know I would hear y'all tell me, come on, or we got to go, or whatever the uh, command was. And he said, but I just had in my mind, if I just hurry up, and I can get it done and do that too. And how many of you moms have said this word, now? Amen. <laughs> and she said on the way here, I said, I enjoyed hearing Brandon say that the other day. She said, but he didn't repeat what I always told him after that. I'm like, okay, don't ask me what that was. I wanted you to obey the first time. Amen? It sure is good to live long enough to hear the kids come back and say they got it. Amen? <laughs> and to see them doing it with their kids and chuckle that they are having the same struggle you did. We go down the road laughing at how tired they are, <laughs> you know, and feeling sorry for them at the same time. Tonight's message is going to be that word that we've told our kids. Just three letters, N-O-W. Now, First, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in an accepted and in, the, uh, in, the, in a time accepted and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Let's read this together. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We're going to take that little acrostic and, and go through. There's N-O-W, no other way. In O.W., no other word. In O.W., no other witness. In O.W., no other work. And in O.W., need other workers and witnesses. We're in the time as an 83-year-old Jewish man who's a believer who discipled me and put the vision in front of me of reaching his brethren 30-some years ago as we got out of Bible college. He called me the other day. He's, uh, he's never going to retire. He's still teaching and preaching. And he called me and he says, Ken, I'm so excited. You're going to be the new director and we're so excited and we want to become, boy, this is humbling. We want to actually become supporters of your ministry. Wow. And he said, you've got a short time to get a lot done. You know what I mean? And I said, yes, I do. We don't have time to fool around about the gospel. The fields are white in the harvest. There's another now. Now over white. They're beyond white. I've got four neighbors. Talked to a guy yesterday. I told the pastor, purchased something from me in yard sales as we're trying to clear things out and simplify and downsize. And, and uh, had a good witness to him. His wife is dying of cancer. She came on out and she said, do you have the shots yet? I said, no. Well, boy, that put the kibosh, that thing ended. She's dying of cancer. Her field is real white. The guy beside me, good neighbor right behind us, heart problems for years. Ambulance was sitting there the other, other day, and they were carrying him off, and I walked out, and as they were rolling him in, I said, Moody, we're praying for you, man. We're praying for you. And he's back home and going back in for another procedure. Oh, man, he's right on the edge. He thinks he's fine. He's a good man. 
That's just two of my neighbors. One of the other neighbors this summer, if both have husband had a brother die, a wife had a, a sister die. They're our closest friends in the neighborhood. They have the keys to our house. They walk and feed our dogs when we're gone. They're kids. We give them a little something to do it, and the parents supervise it, and their kids are now getting to be teenagers, and they're secular. Don't talk about the Lord. They love us. They're friendly as they can be, but we're secular. Talk to the hand. Their fields are white and harvest death all around them, and yet we're fine. We don't need the Lord. There are individuals all the time in every generation that are in that season where it's harvest time. But I grew up on a farm, and when the hay season came and the hay had been cut and been tethered and raked, brother, it's time. Uh, it's been flipped over. It's dried in the sun a couple of those June days, and it's time. Now we get the hay in. Amen? Yep. Many a time my dad has uh, put us on the wagon, and the old little hay baler they had, just a little, little small one, and and it's loading that, oh man, I thank God. I tell you, mom and dad said, did the farming, was it that rough you had to go into the ministry and move all the way to Florida? I said, yeah, that's about it. That's about the size of it. Gets motivated to do anything but this, huh? But uh, it didn't matter. Dad said, y'all go on to church. I'm going to pull the last wagon in the barn. I'll be there by the time preaching starts at 730 back in the day. And he would always be there. There's times where he left it in the field too, even with the storm coming because... There's a greater harvest. Amen. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, I am the door if me, by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other, no other way. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other way. The world doesn't like to hear that, but that's God's rules. The fellow I was talking to yesterday was talking about the way he was going to get into heaven, and, and he had done this, and he had done that. And I, I had to say, you know, there's one thing about it. Uh, none of us are, are perfect. We're all sinners, but it's not our heaven to decide how we get in. It's his heaven. There's no other way. There's no other word. In the beginning was the word. Who says there's no other way? The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as a light that shineth in the dark place. Romans chapter 10 says, The Word is nigh thee even in thy mouth, the Word of faith which we preach. There's no other way. There's no other word. There's no other witness. Jesus was the first witness, Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. God sent him to earth to be a witness. And he said, the first begotten of the dead, of the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He said, there's no other way. And he commanded us, Peter said to Cornelius, to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sins. Before Peter could get done with the message, Cornelius and his family were on their knees <laughs> making an altar out of their living room. Peter had never been in the home of a Gentile. When we first get to Israel, what we usually do, our first trips there, we get off the airplane out of Tel Aviv, go right down to Joppa, or they call it Yafo, right where Peter was there on the, on the roof, 
taking a siesta while the meal was being prepared. And he had that vision of the sheep being let down, of all kind of unclean animals. And the Lord said, Arise and eat. And the dream happened three times. And there was a knock on the door. And it was Cornelius' servants, the Roman centurion who crucified Jews, his servants saying, or his soldiers saying, Our master has, has asked us to come get you. So Peter said, Man, I don't know about this. And the Lord said, Remember that dream? Don't ever call somebody unclean because I can clean them up. Amen. Peter went north, and so from there, usually on our trips, we'll leave Jaffa and we'll head up the coastline, drive through Tel Aviv, and go right up halfway up the coastline of Israel to Caesarea Philippi. They call it Caesarea after Caesar, Caesarea Philippi. And look at that Roman aqueduct and that blue water of the Mediterranean. And it was there in Caesarea that the Gentiles... Got to hear the gospel. Wow. So we start our trip in Israel saying God spoke to a Jew who had to be clean and he couldn't eat with Gentiles, couldn't go into their homes. They were defiled and said, I want you to cross that line because they need to be cleaned up. See, there was no other work, no other word, no other witness but Jesus. Let's make the last command our first concern, someone said. Jesus said, uh, now, I wanted you to obey me the first time. Yeah. Because the neighbors I've just mentioned to you, there may not be a next time. Amen? Yeah. The person God puts on your heart. How many of you can raise your hand sorrowfully like me and say, there's times when the Lord nudged you and you said, yeah, I think I'll do it another time, Lord, you know. Uh, you know, you know all I have to do, Lord. <laughs> Larry Brown, the assistant pastor and youth pastor of Gospelite, when I was there growing up as a teenager for 13, maybe 12, 13 years old, Larry Brown said, if you will commit yourself to obeying the Great Commission and have a burden to reach souls, God will run people across your path every which way you turn that are ready to be saved because so few Christians are willing to obey God's first command and do it now. Lord, forgive us for the times we've passed by. Well, somebody else can witness to them. I'm sure they'll hear it from somebody. When the Lord says, do it now, you do it now. He knows that may be their last time. There's no other way. There's no other word. There's no other witness. There's no other work. Let's go to Acts chapter 13 and verse number two, and I'll let you look along with me here. Acts 13 and verse number two uh, and verse number three, as you find that. What a tremendous story this is, Paul's, Paul's first missionary journey. Acts chapter 13, verse number 2 and 3. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. By the way, we say Paul's name was changed to Saul's name was changed to Paul when he got saved. But that's not what the Holy Spirit says. Folks, we need to read our Bibles. The Holy Spirit didn't say Paul, did he? What did he say? Saul. But I thought he got saved. The Lord changed his name. We, I, I preached that. I've said it a hundred times. But you look consistently. The Lord calls him Saul after this as well as Paul. <laughs> Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. He had both. Every Israeli you'll meet, they'll give me an English name, and then I'll say, what's your Hebrew name? And it's a different Hebrew name. 
Just a little thought. All right, throw that out there. I know we had to burn some tapes that we preached, you know. <laughs> all right, I'm not here to correct the preacher. I'm here to correct this preacher, all right? So let's read this. Verse number uh, two, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. This was the church at Antioch. Antioch was a city that was divided with four walls and four quarters. There were Greeks, there were Romans, there were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were Syrians. And you each stayed in your neighborhood, in your boroughs, like the boroughs of New York. And some of them were Italian boroughs. And, you know, the different nationalities kind of grouped together. And in that city, here was the church of Gentiles. And there was a church where there were no walls. And all of these different groups, Jews and Greeks and Romans and Gentiles, all worshiped together as one in Christ. Amen? And it was in that church where they were praying and fasting. Now, how many people would show up if the pastors of churches said, now, now a month from now, on a Sunday night, after we've spent a day or maybe days of praying and fasting, and then we're going to have a meeting where we pray, and at the end of that meeting, whoever is present that the Holy Spirit lays upon the heart of the pastors, in this case, the elders of that church, and says, they're the one to be your next missionaries. How many people would show up to that meeting? You didn't get a say. The Holy Spirit told the leadership of the church, we believe God's been using you and God wants you to go and we're going to fund it and we've already got the plane tickets and you'll be leaving in a month and we're going to support you. That might be a slim meeting, Pastor. (laughs) That's how they did it. There's, no, there's only one work, no other work. The work of the local church and the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's a whole lot of local churches. But as we know, not, maybe not a whole lot of them where the Holy Spirit has full control. I was that pastor. We had seen people go off to Christian college, but had not seen people go off to the mission field. We supported a lot of missionaries. And greatly increased the missions program. First missionary we ever added when I became pastor was a missionary, a Jewish born-again missionary to the Jews. I said, that's where we start. And boy, the Lord blessed it. I mean, it was amazing. Even when we went through a real rough spell one year, I won't go into details, but a real rough spell where I knew the finances were, they're just not going to be there. It's half the finances are going to be gone. I told the people, I'm not calling these missionaries and telling them their support has ended. I said, if I have to go out here and flip hamburgers on the side or whatever I've got to do, we're going to keep supporting these missionaries. And you know, that year we gave more to missions than we had ever had given in our history. And God blessed that church through missions. It is the church's role. I had a pastor recently rightly to ask me, you're going to become the new director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. I want to ask you a question. Who has the authority over where that missionary stays on the field or comes home? I said, you do, pastor. The local church does, not the mission board. We're a liaison. We can give you reports. We can say, you know, things are not measuring up with this fellow, or he's having health difficulties, or we can say, you know, it seems like he's having a difficulty working this way. His gifts seem to be in this way, but it's your call. The local church is God's only work. Amen? Now, we are the eyes on and hands on and recruiting, but pastor, every pastor I've asked, I said, have you ever preached a sermon why people from your church ought to go to the mission field. And in that sermon, at least one point was, and some of you ought to go reach the Jews. I've never had a pastor say yes to that. So if the church is not sending missionaries, 
Are we not listening to the Holy Spirit? I said often, what, Lord, I haven't seen any missionaries, and I feel like a failure that missionaries haven't gone from our church. And the Lord tapped me on the shoulder at some point and said, you go. Mm. And guess who the guy was who filled the pulpit for almost a year most of the time? The very first Jewish missionary that we had added on. <laughs> and he was filling the pulpit for me with another couple of, another guy, two guys in Jewish ministry. One's a Jew and the other was a Gentile. Both of them were filling the pulpit. Hey, listen, what if God sent Pastor Steve? Hmm? You think the Lord could be in that? Now, don't say amen right now. That's not the time, that's not the time to say amen. But you know, the Lord could do that. I knew a pastor in Northern Virginia, a great man of God. He I won't even call his name, but uh, boy, man, he got me through some tough times. He, he did some counseling. Oh, man, what a blessing he was. He got saved in his 30s. He was an engineer working at Dalgren Military Base, and the Lord saved him. He went off to Bible college and, and became a pastor. And man, one year, four, maybe I think five of his men, deacons, all went to the mission field in the same year. And man, at the pastor's meetings, we were saying, man, can you, can you write up a little booklet on, on how you train these men? Man, you're sending them out. This is awesome. We want to learn from you. And, and he did at our behest. He did a study and he did a little booklet and, and said, you know, here's, here's how the Lord's worked with me. I don't know how to work with you. But and man, we were just so, well, brother, so-and-so, man, the Lord's using him to send missionaries. Isn't that awesome? And boy, we yearned to have that kind of ministry. But the next two or three years, the very heart had been taken out of his church by God himself, the Holy Spirit, had sent out his core team, and he had to start over. And I'll be honest with you, years and years he struggled to ever be at the same place of ministry as that church was before God sent that men, that, those men out. Because the Holy Spirit said, separate me, and he called them, and they prayed on them, verse 3, and they sent them away. Hey, it's not about building a kingdom here in this location. It's about building his kingdom wherever he sends us. And if God speaks to you, I know it said, I told you, it takes me a couple years of praying about it. And there's something to do with God's timing and things. And I did not want to leave the church in a lurch. I wanted to make sure they said, can you stay on nine months? Your wife's a school teacher. Can she finish her school and you help us get a, I mean, we haven't had a search for a pastor in over 20 years and we don't even know where to start and, and, and so we did. I said, if you'll give me an occasional Sunday and Wednesday night to go out and start presenting my ministry, yes, and, and we'll get guys in here. And, and they, still, they still went a year and a half without a pastor after that. And I thought, wow. Oh, my goodness. They were down to the bottom of the barrel. They had gone through so many resumes, and finally the last one, wow. And every one of, every one of those guys said, whew, it's been a tough year, but we waited, and God gave us the right man. And that church is thriving and, and our largest supporter of any of the churches. And it's just a little, hey, it's no bigger than the church building you left down the street. And that church is our, our biggest supporter of any churches. God, when he says go, can handle replacement of a pastor, replacement of the finances, of whatever he needs to do. Because if you will obey God now, God will meet your needs every time you need him. Now, we worked for five years. We, for five I didn't do the traditional deputation. I didn't go around for three or four years. I'd go to these missions conferences. And I went to missions conference. That's where I met you at a missions conference over in our area. Brother Zach was there. I met him through you. I don't, you weren't there, were you? 
Were you there? That's okay. You were there. See, he's forgettable. Zach's not. <laughs> and so I met brother. I knew I met brother Zach, and I was trying to think today. Was brother Steve there? So I met them and brother Zach. Here God had sent one away from you. And boy, I love keeping up with him on Facebook and seeing what God is doing, praying for his airplane to get back on time so he could do the message. And, and I get all those, uh, those things that you put on as a family, and my heart hurts for you because she was five months pregnant as we moved 16 hours south to South Florida for my parents' very first grandchild. Yeah. We didn't have a doctor to go to. Finally found one. He said, oops. January 21st? Well, that's Super Bowl. I've got tickets. I'll have another guy take care of you. That's real encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, Lord, what have you done? I mean, here we are. We're trying to serve you. I guess I'm going to have to learn something about having a birth at home here. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Hey, listen, if you'll do it now, Jesus sent his disciples away, and they were hungry. And they came back. It was the heat of the day in the afternoon. He was talking to a woman, which Jews and especially Jewish rabbis, Jesus was considered by many a master, a rabbi, teacher. He's talking to a woman. Not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan. They had their own altar in the north up there. They had their own Bible. They were half Jews, as bad as you could get. And then... We know about the woman at the well. And she had just gotten saved. And they said, Jesus, we brought you something to eat. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Wait a minute. We know he still had to go to the cross. But he didn't just come to end up on the cross. He finished God's work with the Samaritan woman. And we know what happened. She went and got the whole town out. We know that Philip later went there. It was a great revival. Amen. Jesus laid the groundwork through that one woman, the most unlikely candidate you could ever pick. The people we look at and go, if anybody gets saved of the people I'm praying for, it ain't going to be him. We know, right? The Lord says, watch this. <laughs> I think because of that, on top of it, that's going to be the first one I save. I'll show you that I do not need the mighty or the noble or the rich. I need those that the world has cast aside. Those who see themselves as nothing. So it'll be all glory to me. When you do it now, the fields are over white. I have to guess at the time of the year that they had their crops brought in was probably June. I brought in their hay or their barley. I know the feast of the Bible. And it was probably about that May, maybe May or June. And so I know that this was probably about four months before that when this happened. Because what did Jesus say? There are, say ye not, there are yet, how many months? Four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are what? White already unto harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit into eternal life that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Wow. See, there's no other way, there's no other work, but we need other workers and even those that are not doing the reaping. Amen? Yeah. When somebody comes in this church, let's just, just talk turkey here, and they go in the restroom and there's no paper. <laughs> there's no soap 
They go to the nursery and no one's there yet. Everybody's late that day. And the most precious thing in their life, they're about to hand to a complete stranger. And you're not even there. Don't tell me that's not part of the harvest. Amen. We need other workers. But Jesus saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. Single mom dragging a couple kids in here. Barely got gas probably to get here. She doesn't need anybody with a smart attitude about how they're dressed. She doesn't need anybody doing this and looking her up and down. She doesn't need anybody saying, you sit back there. No. Jesus went out of the way for her. Her name was Mary from Magdala. We stood at Magdala. Mary Magdalene, where she was there. They found a synagogue floor tiles that were there. The fish towers there. We know all about her. Possessed of devils. But Jesus chose to see her first on resurrection morning. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Amen. Amen. The harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I believe it's in Luke's gospel when you read this. It said that he had just sent the 70 out. I'll have to go back and reread that. He just sent them out or just getting ready to send the 70 out. 12, 70, 120, 3,000. Hey, it's not enough. We're up to what, 8, 9 billion in the world? Hundreds of millions dying every day. Well, let's go to Romans chapter uh, 10. Romans chapter 10, and I'll try to get the waterworks turned off here. Romans 10 and verse number 9. Many of you could say with me, this is the verse that maybe got you under conviction or maybe the verse that someone showed you when you prayed to get saved. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. What a great scripture this is. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. Let's read it together. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now let's go back to chapter 9 and verse number 1. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, some theologians will say, are a parenthesis in this great description of salvation, the doctrine of salvation in the book of Romans, that ends with the chapter number 8, and then in chapters number 12 through 16, it's how to live the Christian life practically. And they're right about those things, but many theologians will wrongly say, because they've just been trained this way, with a Jewless theology that says this little section of Romans 9, 10, 11 is just a parenthesis. Paul has to kind of stop and kind of explain why most of the Jews are not being saved at that time. I think it's completely wrong. I think it's the very pinnacle toward which Paul has worked toward for all the chapters preceding it. And so several times in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he says, has God cast off the Jews? God forbid, he answers. No, no indeed, I am a Jew. I am saved. There has always been a remnant. Remember Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. I mean, he was a prophet. God gave him the future things that were going to happen, things that were going to happen even the next couple years. 
much less way on off in prophecy. Even Elijah didn't know that God had 7,000. God had to tell him something he didn't know. Newsflash, Elijah the prophet, you're not the only one. (laughs) There's always been just a remnant of Jews who have ever believed. Uh, Let's look around to Americans. There's only a remnant of us, amen? Yeah. Hey, hey, don't go say, ah, the Jews, you know, most of them don't believe. Hey, the Americans, most of them don't believe. Over 55% of the Jews in America never darken the door of a synagogue. It's probably higher than that among the Gentiles going to church. Hey, let's don't give the Jews a hard time about being stiff-necked and hard-headed. Uh, brother, we're, in this day and time, we're getting, as, we're, getting worse than they have, we, we're getting worse than we've accused them of being. Hardness of heart. So chapter number 9, verse number 1 through 3, Paul starts this section, which is not a parenthesis, but it's the very peak of the plan of salvation. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness continual sorrow or grieving in my heart. Wow. None of us can honestly say this. I could wish myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Let's go back to chapter 10, verse number 11. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth. All right. Now, let's go on to verse number 14. Now here we are, three chapters answering the question from the Roman Christians saying, why then did the nation of Israel reject Christ? Why is it that only a minority, well we know that minority was uh, 120 in the upper room, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, and, and then great multitudes. And you take the numbers or the, name or, the, or the words that describe the numbers and the exponential growth. It's very easily to conservatively estimate within just a few years there may have been thirty to 40,000 Jews and you would not be saved today if they did not do it now and carry out the gospel. So we know the Jews did believe, the nation didn't. But he came into his own and his own received him not. Go back and study that out. His own hometown in Nazareth did not receive it. His own national leaders did not receive it. But there was a whole lot of people in between that were Jews that did. Yeah, his own family, even his brothers did not believe until after his resurrection. His own, his own family, his own town, his own national leaders. So when you read that, don't say, well, the Jews didn't, but we did. No, we as a bunch of Gentiles in the world, for the most part, have not yet been saved. Amen? Yeah. That verse does not mean the Jews did not believe. It means his own did not believe. So do you get discouraged when you're witnessing to your family and they're like, you know, I mean, they're the hardest ones, right? And boy, we start witnessing to them as new Christians and they're our own and they're not receiving our message. We think, I can't win my own. I can't win nobody. Now, Pastor hinted at something a moment ago that I'm going to pick up on just as a way of Helping you understand. When Stan Rosenthal years ago said to me, Brother Ken, have you thought about Jewish missions? Romans 1.16 and what it really means and how that very few are trying to reach my brethren. I said, Brother Stan, I don't know anything about Jewish people. I said, I grew up on a tobacco field over here in North Carolina. I said, I never, I thought all the Jews were in Israel or in the Old Testament. That's all. I, I don't know any Jews. I don't know nothing about it. You're a Jew, Stan. You can reach them. I, as a Gentile, I can't reach them. He said, Ken, you don't understand. As a Jew, we are considered traitors. We are traitors. We are turncoats. 
You as a Gentile and as a Gentile Christian, they expect you to witness to them. Like family, they give you the hand like your family has you. You see? So if we as Gentiles do not go to reach the Jews, it is actually not easier for them to reach their own. Because you're a traitor, don't talk to me. In fact, they're taught, you stopped being a Jew and you became a Christian. Christian and Gentile equals one and the same to Jew. We know that's not. We know there are Gentiles who are not Christians. We run into them all the time. But they are taught, you become a a Christian, you become a Gentile, you stop being a Jew. You've you've betrayed your forefathers, your grandmother, your great-grandparents, Moses, Abraham. You betrayed all of them. You're a traitor. We don't want to hear you. It's actually easier for Gentiles to witness to them. So now, with that in context, let's go to verse number 14. Again, this is in chapter 10 is the middle of three chapters on can the Jews be saved, right? Now, we, we all preach this verse by application with little interpretation. I know here you get some good, solid interpretation and then some good, solid application. But folks, if we do not give the interpretation and credits to whom it was being spoken to and explain it, then we just take that and say, that applies to me. The guy we have now in the White House, the very first time he ran for president had to drop out because of plagiarism. And if we will not interpret the scripture and then after that make application, who was it written to? And let's pray for those people it was written to and then preach it and make application. All we've done is put a steeple on plagiarism. We need to interpret the scripture and then apply it. Now, we got that? I'm serious about this. God is serious. Verse 14, how, shall they, they, how then shall they call upon the name of the Lord? But verse 13 says, but whosoever. But in the middle of three chapters on can the Jews still be saved? How shall they, the Jews, call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they, the Jews, believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they, the Jews, hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring the glad tidings of good, of good things. That's a quote. If you've got a study Bible, I just happened to look at it because I didn't look this up ahead of time. That's... Isaiah chapter 52, right before Isaiah chapter 53. Yeah, we all know Isaiah 53. He quotes a verse that was about the salvation of the Messiah for the Jews. How many times have I been to a missions conference where I heard this preached and never one time has it been mentioned about somebody ought to go to the Jews. And it stirred my heart so strongly that I had been in the largest church in North Carolina. I'd grown up in the largest church and went to the largest Bible college that time on the East Coast. Never heard anybody say, somebody ought to go to the Jews. And it just, I just said, this is wrong. Somebody has got to do something. And the Lord said, you. And I said, it can't be me, God. You know me. I don't know anything about the Jewish people. The Lord said, yep, You. Now, <laughs> not right when I graduated, a year and a half after I graduated, I thought no doors were going to open up. Here I am wanting to save the world and the world's going to hell, and I volunteered, and there's just no doors opening up. Because the Lord wanted me to go through this door, and it changed my entire life and my ministry. So before we send everybody all over the world to everybody else, you know what the Lord is saying, I believe? When he said, go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, it just wasn't go to the Jew first chronologically. It's always go to the Jew first in priority. Yeah, but there's no Jews even living in this area. Pray for them. 
you're already doing a great part praying for, for us to reach them. Amen. And many of you, a dozen of you, raise your hands at least. Hey, pray for how you can love them. Love on them. Learn about their holidays. Get on Google. Just find out their next Jewish holiday. Uh, it's Saturday. It's called Tisha B'Av. On Tisha B'Av, tragedy has struck the Jewish nation of Israel and the Jewish people a half a dozen times. Both temples were destroyed and burned on the anniversary that's celebrated this Saturday. Both temples on the same day. The largest expulsions of Jews from nations in Europe, guess what day they happened on? Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, this Saturday. I could go on and on about the tragedies that have happened to the Jewish people this Saturday. You know they have a 25-hour fast starting Saturday night, 25 hours. And you don't go, hey, happy Tisha B'Av. No, no, no. They're realizing that they and their nation went astray and God allowed their worship center to be destroyed. But yet they've survived. And so you, you go, Zom call, good fast. You have a good fast. And then you bring them Krispy Kreme donuts when that 25 hours is over with and they love you. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the type of thing you do. You go visit them before. You say, I realize you've got a fast. Do you fast? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me how you do that. And, you know, they'll tell you, you know, don't wear, can't wear leather shoes to church because that's a sign of being a rich man. You got to wear something else because you're like a poor man. You're grieving, you're mourning, everything's in black, you know. All kind of little things the rabbis have added to it to help commemorate. And then you come back with some donuts. I'm telling you, they are loving you. <laughs> I have so much fun. Every six to eight weeks, there's another Jewish holiday. You've got a chance every six or eight weeks to be learning and to come and greet them and to say, you know, hey, I understand this is coming up and this is coming. Hey, just and tell me about it. Don't become an expert. Let them teach you. Amen. Hey, I want, I want to become Increased in my Jewish awareness, will you help me? You're building a bridge across which the gospel can go. Now let's wrap it up. We need other witnesses. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. And now in, uh, later on in the chapter, for as times past, you have not believed, yet now you Gentiles have obtained mercy through their unbelief. So now these also who have not believed should re receive mercy from you. Through your mercy, they may obtain mercy. Now, he came into his own. They rejected Christ. No, 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 no. His town, his neighborhood, his family, and his leaders, but tens of thousands of other Jews told Gentiles or we wouldn't be here. Thank a Jew for that. Amen. Amen. Opens up the door to the gospel. Now, let's close with this. I'll just read 2 Corinthians back to chapter 6. We, that was our text, but let me read it. We then as workers together with him, and that's what you've become with us as we work with the Lord. Beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. And then he quotes from Isaiah 49. In a time accepted, in the day of salvation, I have succored thee. Let's read it out loud. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Now, my wife said to Brandon, I wanted you to obey me the first time. And to the Jew first. Lord, I know many of us here may not know a Jewish soul, but we can sure pray for them. I know this church does and prays for us as we try to reach them and maybe others that, that are in the same work, I don't know. And those 12 or so that raised their hands, now they have a good goal to pray for, to learn something and to begin that journey of, of getting to know that person that they might bridge the gospel using their Jewish awareness to increase that Jew's awareness of the Jewish and of Jesus and his message because there's no other way. There's no other word. There's no other work. Lord, we need more workers because the fields are now 
way overweight. We ask, Lord, that you burden us with the souls, maybe not of Jews only, but of many Gentiles we know that are on our prayer list, like my neighbors, that we might be the person. When you say now, may we just open our mouth. Lord, we'll make mistakes. We may not know how to answer all things, but you didn't give any exceptions. You said just, just open your mouth, testify what Christ Jesus has done for you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the Pastor Pope brings us to a time of invitation. Hey, just a few questions real quickly with our heads bowed. I wonder, first of all, if there may be one here tonight, anywhere, and you'd say, Preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure that I'm ready now. I'm not sure that I'm, if Christ were to come now, I'm not sure that I'm ready to see him. I'm not sure that I'm saved. And with the heads bowed and eyes closed, I just wonder maybe if someone would be blatantly honest tonight. I'll not embarrass you. I'll not try to come back and, and you know, curse you to come down an aisle. But, but you'd say, Pastor, I am not ready. And you'd slip your hand up right now and let me pray for you. And you'd say, Preacher, I'm not ready now. If Christ came today, I'm not ready. You'd slip your hand up and let me pray for you. All right? I appreciate the hands tonight. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray tonight. Is there anybody else tonight? You just slip your hand up. You'd say, Pastor, if Jesus came tonight, if he came now, I'm not ready. I don't know that I'm saved. You haven't raised your hand yet, but you'll raise it now. You just slip it up. Let me pray for you. Is there another like that anywhere? Can I pray for you? I wonder tonight how many are here and you'd say, Pastor, while Brother Overby was preaching, I know some people, maybe even family. And I think if something were to happen now, I don't think they're ready. And they sure need a witness. They sure need a gospel witness. And they need it now. And you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I know some folks like that. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a minute. We're going to stand and and we're going to pray. And if God laid somebody on your heart tonight that really needs a gospel witness, maybe tonight you just slip out to this altar tonight and maybe you'd breathe their name to the Lord of Lords. And just say, God, would you open a door? Would you give me an opportunity to to get a witness in? It's up to you whether they get saved. that's, That's not my ministry. But, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to at least give the gospel to them? And, Lord, would you do your perfect work? And would you save them? If God laid somebody on your heart tonight, I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you to come. And so let's all stand around the house tonight. I'm going to ask our personal workers, if they would, to very quietly make their way to the front. Heavenly Father, I'm praying right now for these that have raised their hands and said that they're not ready. If Jesus were to come now, they're not 100% sure that they're ready. Father, I pray 
right now, would you please give them courage? And God, would you help them to come tonight? We would like so much to take the word of God and show them how they can know that they know that they're on their way to heaven. What a great night to be saved. What a great night to to come into the family of God. And so, Lord, those that you're dealing with right now, and, and they're not sure, Lord, please help them not to leave lost. Lord, help them to come. Give them courage to come. And, Father, I pray that they would meet with somebody here tonight. And then, Lord, I pray that folks would come from all over the auditorium and tonight Lord I, I, I pray that they would be praying for their loved ones, their neighbors their family members, maybe a mom, maybe a dad maybe an aunt or an uncle maybe we've got parents here tonight that have lost children and Lord tonight they'd just come and they'd get on this altar and say Lord would you give me the opportunity now to get a witness in so Father help us now I pray Lord, please, would you work? Lord, would you work? I hope you will. And I hope folks will let go and let God have his way tonight. Have your way in this invitation, please. And Father, we thank you for what you're about to do. For we ask it in Jesus' name.